Ding, ding, ding. So welcome everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Anthony. I'm from a company called Little Tokyo 2. So for those of you that haven't been here before, we're a community-based uh, organisation, predominantly of businesses, of people that have uh, built their dream businesses. So we have sites at uh, the Capitol and Queen Street, uh, Brisbane City, which is uh, Brisbane City Council Innovation Hub. Uh, Spring Hill Petrie Terrace uh, recently opened the Coldhurst Innovation Hub in Rabina as well, a 2000 square meter complex. And uh, with Spring Hill to be a renewed focused effort for the new year, uh, running lots of events and more importantly getting involved uh, with local businesses in this area. Um, part of what we do is all around uh, ensuring that um, you know, local businesses have uh, an opportunity for growth, so all members have access to uh, mentors, advisors, um, talent, uh, and two of those are uh, Gabby and Jared. So today is really about you guys. Um, it's all about um, learning some, some you know, new ways to um, you know, grow your respective businesses, uh, so from a sales and marketing perspective. Um, so I might start with Gabby. So Gabby's one of our members here at uh, Springfield. Uh, she's a digital marketing expert um, focused predominantly on um, small to medium-sized businesses in the B2C space, so that um, consumer and customer experience. Uh, so she'll share some um, of her recent findings with you today and ways of applying with your business. And then uh, Jared is um, one of our advisors. Um, so all, all members of Little Tokyo 2 have access to our advisors, but he actually um, helps us with our um, you know, sales and marketing from a um, you know, consultancy perspective as well. So we can't... Um, uh, we can't uh, recommend Gabby and Jared uh, more than enough, um, but today they'll share some tips with you. So they'll probably just do a bit of a, it'll be a very casual kind of 20, 30 minute fireside chat. If you've got any questions, please feel free to just ask them as you go, and otherwise at the end we've got plenty of time for some Q&A. Uh, and then uh, at the end, if anyone is keen, obviously there'll be some networking and so on and so forth, but we'll do a little bit of a tour if any of you guys would like to come around premises and explain how the model works. So um, anyway, thank you all for coming, and we uh, hope you enjoy the presentation. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going to keep it super casual. The idea is we've got a bunch of slides which are, are titles, so you're going to spend most of the time hopefully looking at us. We're going to take each of them as a catalyst and then talk about actually how we hack social in different ways. So rather than boring PowerPoint slides that are like pie charts and you know, things pointing up to the upper right hand side, this is going to be much more actually this is what we do day to day. These are things you can do to make a difference to your social. So. Um, to kick things off, we created a hashtag because that's what you do when you do social for an event. So if you want to be associated, you can ask a question. Um, if you don't want to put your hand up, um, you can put it on Twitter and tell the whole world your question. And then at the end, Jason will um, read that out to us. Um, otherwise, you can just engage in that conversation. Um, we're going to be putting a few things on there. Um, and it's also good to see how you can hashtag an event and see if you can create a little bit of noise and buzz um, after that. So, yeah, that's us. Yeah. Um, we might jump into the first questions. Do you want to? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the first hack, uh, it's better to be good at one social channel than average at all of them. Yeah, so this is all about being, you know, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, so me, for my personal profile, I will typically focus on LinkedIn first because um, I take a business persona first as I go out. And Twitter's kind of my second, second medium. Um, from a business point of view, I don't really use Facebook. Um, and I'm terrible at Instagram. I'm, I'm not pretty enough to do Instagram, so that's not, that's not my medium. Um, whereas I am solely focused on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so focusing on that customer that terribly, didn't it? It makes it look like it's like, I'm pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm sorry. Um, 
but yeah, so I focus on that customer relationship and the engagement on Instagram and Facebook, and this, so there's a lot of like visuals and all of that fun stuff uh, where we focus on. Yeah, so you'll know with any kind of marketing, if you're the market leader in a space, you capture a disproportionate amount of the attention. So for me, I know that with LinkedIn, I get more traction. So putting my effort into LinkedIn means I'm going to get a better return from it. Spreading that effort out across a bunch of channels is never really going to work for me. I just don't have that same kind of reach. Um, and it's, it's, it's a multiple. So the typical curve that you see is that the person who's got the most reach or the winner of a niche market will get twice as much as the second person in that particular industry. So that's why for me, my entire focus is around LinkedIn because if I become good at LinkedIn, I'm going to get 10, 20 times more business engagement than I'm going to do on another channel. Um, but also, too, you've got to pick your, uh, your channel that represents your brand, right? So um, I get frustrated when people try to use LinkedIn and they post like pictures of their pets and kids. And I mean, you can, you can, I mean, maybe you can chew on your kids in, but you'll notice on LinkedIn people are like, this isn't the channel, this isn't Facebook, go away. So, you know, you've got to be careful with what you pick. Um, the other thing I'd say is, especially from a small business point of view, you know, people launch a new website and they add all the social handles, like, oh, at Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest, and, and then they're all dead, right? So there's nothing more frustrating than seeing a small business owner bite off more than they can chew, and they're like trying to manage six different social channels. Pick one and do a good job of it. Um, and the really big uh, pitfall that a lot of small businesses do when they do open all six or seven or 29 uh, social media channels is that they will then post the same thing on all 29 channels, uh, which is really dangerous because uh, some things will work really, really well on Instagram and it won't work on LinkedIn. Um, and so it's really important that if you are going to choose social media uh, channels to focus on that you only choose a couple and be really, really good at it. So yeah, so as we go through each of the slides, if there's something you go, I've got another question on that, we'll get hopefully we'll get end and come along. So hack number two, uh, choose portfolio quantity. So this is kind of touching on what we just spoke about. Um, you really want to spend some time actually making something that's worthwhile. Like, there's absolutely nothing to be gained from being the person who just constantly throws stuff up all the time. So you want to make sure that when you do decide to post something, spend a bit of time thinking about what it wants to be and what you're trying to achieve with it. Just posting because you feel like you haven't posted for the day is almost a guaranteed recipe for disaster. Um, and people are following you for a reason. So you need to make sure that you're giving them some kind of value in their newsfeed. They don't want to just see a photo of your dog. They want to know why you're showing the world your dog. Um, so add, make sure that you're having that value add in everything that goes up on your social media channels. Um, because if it's kind of pointless, then people aren't going to really care and there's engagement that you're losing there. So if you're thinking about LinkedIn, and I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep referring back to LinkedIn, one mistake I see all the time is people share articles and they're like, so like you read something and that's amazing and then you just share it to your wall and you think, well, so what? I could have followed Forbes or Time Magazine or something myself. Like, all you've done is shared someone else's. What you need to do is make sure you add value to that. So at least if you're going to share something, add four or five lines to the top of it. Show why you're sharing. Explain, I got this <coughs> and you're actually adding some value to it. Ideally, you actually want to write your own opinion piece off it. You want to take something you've read and said, well, that was interesting to me because of, oh, I'm going to take that as a catalyst write my own actual blog post or LinkedIn article and share that. And that's where you get into the quality, actually putting yourself out there, sharing an opinion and opening yourself potentially up to some comments, which is I mean, social, right? Designed to be a two-way conversation. Um. So it's not all about you. Uh, this is really important. Um, yes, your social media uh, profile is supposed to be selling whatever you're selling. 
um, but it's really, really important that you're not always talking about yourself because the worst thing when you're talking to someone is when they don't stop talking about themselves, right? Um, so it's really important that you're engaging with other people and you're sharing other people's stuff and that you're engaging with that whole conversation because, again, social is about being social. Um, so maybe only talking about yourself every three or four or five posts rather than every single post because people don't want to be sold at. They want to be engaged in a conversation and they want to know what you do and what you stand for more than what you're selling. Yeah, I think that's, I find people, and it's, it's a true, truism of business generally and marketing generally, is that people spend so much time making themselves the hero of their own story, themselves or their business, and actually the hero of any story you're selling in business needs to be your customer or your client. And so, yeah, if you become really talking about yourself and what you've done and how great you are, it's like, well, that's good for you, but what's in it for me? Um, if you are going to talk about yourself, the best way to do that is to take a humble approach, to sort of do a, a big reveal, like I did this, I didn't know what was going to happen, I came and did some public speaking and this was the stress that I went through or this is what I discovered. Those kind of things, they're great because that's you humbling yourself. Um, whereas if you're just kind of digging yourself up and selling it, yeah, people turn off pretty quickly with that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, small business might be a cafe, constantly taking pictures of your own food and kind of putting, like that's not really engaging stuff. If you were to actually though, post pictures of your customers and tell the backstory you get while you're making the copy and go, hey, this is Susan. Susan works over here. She's lived in the area for 10 years and I didn't even realize, but Susan is an Afghan veteran or whatever it might be. You know, that kind of humanism totally changes how you're posting out there. Um, and it's just typical of small businesses. Um, I'm going to be running shoes today and rather than take another picture on their social media, they're running shoes. I don't run, I walk in them, but they're called running shoes. Um, and when, when she's making the, the owner of the store makes the post, she's going to post my old shoes and my new shoes and tell the story of the shoes in two years and what, and kind of what's like the history of the shoes. And you know, oh, that's actually really interesting rather than just, hey, look, we sold another pair of Nike running shoes. So if you can put that into everything you do with your social posts, it makes a big difference. Um, and also, um, coming up with a lot of content to post every single day is really hard sometimes. Um, so using your customers to create that content as well. So getting them involved. So posting uh, Jared's photo of his shoes on your feed is not only going to uh, be like, hey, Jared, that's really, really cool. We're going to share it with our community. Um, but it also shows your community that you're involved with your customers. It's not just that one-way street. So getting your customers involved with your content creation is really cool too. Plus, as you probably know from your Facebook, uh, if you tag your friends, you get to reach like their inner circle of friends as well. So you get that natural expansion. So tagging your business. If you just keep speaking to the same people, you're not going to grow your audience. So by tagging your customers, you actually get to reach out to their people. And then typically, they'll be kind of like, they'll like the post, assuming you write something nice about them. They'll like it. It goes further into their network and so on and so forth. So that's a nice little hack. If, whenever you can tag someone else, tag another business. Um, just don't fall in the trap of tagging people that are completely irrelevant, because if they remove themselves the post, that's like a 10 time bad signal. That's where you really didn't have the rights to do it. Um, frequency is platform dependent. Um, yeah, so I'll talk about my two favorite platforms. LinkedIn, if you're posting more than once a day, you're annoying. Um, people go on LinkedIn with a business purpose. So the average person, maybe active users, maybe once a week kind of thing. Um, if you're crazy like me, it's like two or three times a day. Um, if you work in BD like Anthony at the back, he's on LinkedIn right now trying to find more leads, so he probably does it 10 times a day, right? Um, that's totally different for Twitter. Twitter, you post something, it's gone in 10 seconds. Um, so you can actually be pretty frequent with your Twitter posts, not quite you know, Donald Trump-esque, but in that same kind of vein. 
Um, totally different again for Insta, isn't it? Yeah, so Instagram at the moment, um, two to three times a day is pretty beneficial for your engagement and getting followers and whatnot, um, but once a day is perfectly sufficient as well. If you don't post for a couple of days, that's you will see your followers go down. So kind of keeping up that daily posting is really important. Um, Facebook, you could push it to two or three times a day, um, but we all follow a couple of people that post like seven or eight times a day and it's annoying. So um, keeping it to two or three times a day would be fine. Um, but again, similar to Instagram, if you're skipping a couple of days, you'll see your engagement go down a little bit. So keeping up the consistency and frequency at least once a day. Yeah, with um, LinkedIn, you get the benefit. You can kind of lay dormant for a long time. And LinkedIn gives you a boost if you've yeah. been quiet. LinkedIn loves to go, haven't seen you in a while. I'll even send emails to me contacts saying, someone who hasn't been there is now finally doing something. Um, so there is some kind of a weird, perverse uh, reward for being cold on LinkedIn for a while. Um, but that's kind of the exception to the social rule. Schedule your posts. Um, this is so important um, because anyone that owns a small business or like just a business in general um, doesn't have time to be posting one or two or three times a day. Um, so scheduling your posts is really important because then you're thinking ahead. You can think about when your event is in three weeks' time and then schedule posts and lead up to that. You don't have to be stressing about it two or three times a day, wondering what to post, what the caption should be, where to find the hashtags, um, because posting isn't just throwing a photo up and hitting post, uh, there's actually quite a lot that goes behind it. So taking a couple of hours out of your week at the beginning of the week is really beneficial um, and scheduling your posts makes your life a whole lot easier. Are there tools you use for that that you recommend? Yeah, so I there's this awesome app called Plan, which is uh, similar to Planoly for Instagram and they send you kind of you schedule all your stuff and then send you prompts to post it up. Um, so things like that, you can then kind of shuffle things around to make your feed look good before you put it up so you know what it's going to look like. Um, but looking for those scheduling apps, things like Hootsuite and Sprout are also really, really good as well, particularly when you've got multiple platforms. Um, yeah. There's a bunch, isn't there? Yeah, I, um, we were talking um, earlier on in the week and saying one of the problems when you do what we do is you start buying SaaS tools, so software as a service. And so you buy like, oh, I'm going to buy that scheduling tool and that posting tool and that thing that does image manipulation and that thing that does video. And next thing your account's looking going, what are all these subscriptions you've got? And they're like $9.99, $9.99, $29.99. And they do add up. Um, so uh, all those scheduling tools have slightly different niches. So really have a look at which one. And, and they've all got a slightly different purpose. Um, I, I use a different tool called um, Missing Letter, and the reason why I use that is I like to write deep content and then use it two or three times. So the use case for Missing Letter is completely different to something like a Hootsuite or a Sprout. Um, so, and we can we can share some links afterwards um, on the hashtag on Twitter that we'll be able to follow. Um, so we lower down. Um, use social media um, throughout your events. So if you were to have an event like this, you could say, for example, say, ask questions on Twitter and put a hashtag next to it. Um, you're not always trying to trend, you're not always trying to um, go viral. Um, it just helps post-event engagement. Um, if you really want to work harder, you can actually set it up really well for pre-event engagement as well. Um, and particularly for people who can't be here. Um, it allows people in the other LT2 offices potentially to actually tweet and follow and ask questions if they're not sitting here. Um, which is becoming a bigger thing, right? So Facebook Live is taking off because Facebook loves it, um, but it's also because we're busy and it actually, there's a real commitment to come and sit here for an hour or so because it takes time to travel, you can't book anything else around it. So I think more and more these kind of events will become, some people are here, but a lot of people will be remote. 
Um, so yeah, branding up your event and, and taking through on social is a big, big help. Yeah, and it's all about kind of taking your audience and your followers on that journey as well, because you want them to be engaged with the stuff that you're doing. So kind of doing that lead up, oh, we're going to be presenting with Jared, we're going to be doing it at Little Tokyo too, kind of promoting the people that you're working with, but then also having the post-event engagement as well. It was such a great day, here's some photos from the day, this is the stuff that we talked about. So making sure that people that couldn't come, who might only have seen bits and pieces from the live, can also feel like they've been involved the entire way through. You'll also notice, uh, let's just say, if you all go on Twitter and you use the hashtag hack, hack your social, you'll find, there's a chance, this is a guess, but someone who does social media, probably overseas, will find the trend and then attempt to engage with you and follow. Because they'll go, oh, you went to a social event, um, you're probably in the market to buy social services, I can provide social services. So just by joining in that chat, you, I mean, on one side, you're kind of opening yourself up to a few extra people maybe trying to you know, DM you, um, but you probably pick up a few followers as well. Um, plus, it's, you know, it's also a little bit awkward in these environments to kind of walk up and meet everybody, um, you can actually just find all the other people that were tweeting and were here and follow them. So you sort of build your Twitter um, audience off the back of it. Um, you know, you're all here for a similar reason, a similar geo. Um, it's actually hard to find people on Twitter that match both those criteria. So um, by putting yourself out there on social and just making one tweet with the right hashtag, um, you basically open yourself and say, hey, I'm a little bit open to a conversation on social. You'd be surprised how many people will actually engage with you. Uh, next one along. Be the person who listens on Twitter. Uh, this is one of my favorites, right? When I imagine Twitter, the way I visualize it is everyone on Twitter has their hands over their ears and they're shouting as loud as they can. And they're all in the same room. So it's kind of like us all standing up now shouting all of our sales pitches with their hands over their ears. We're not listening, we're just talking. Um, and that makes Twitter for most people looking go, it is just noise. Like it is just a whole lot of people shouting things out. The knock-on effect of that is you only see people get one or two comments. Like you don't get many likes. Like it's really hard to get traction on Twitter unless you, you know, happen to have a surname like Kardashian or Trump. You're going to struggle, right? But you can turn that around and make it work for you. And the tactic I like to suggest is be the person who listens. If you go onto Twitter and you find a top-tier, uh, you know, influencer, not quite again, not Kardashian Trump, that next layer down. You'll see them on Twitter making posts all the time and getting no social love from it whatsoever. If you're the person who can consider what they've written, like it, and make a considered comment that demonstrates that you want to start a conversation and you've read and appreciate in some way what they've done, like don't troll them, um, you'll be surprised how much people will actually respond to that. Because they are sitting there shouting out there. They're aware of the fact they're shouting and no one's listening. You become the person who listens, they will actually um, start to follow you. I had a... Um, Example in the, um, the Capitol LT2 building where I was showing four or five people this technique. And I went, okay, here's my Twitter feed. A well-known venture capitalist popped up at the top. He's obviously written a whole great long post. Um, he then, I then went, all right, I'm going to cop like his post, made a comment um, about what I thought his post might be about, read it, made another comment. He then followed me back, sent me a DM. We then connected, we've now met up. Turns out we've got companies in common and it all happened live. Um, not only that, but as a result of that demonstration, the, one of the guys I was showing actually approached me and wanted to go into business with me. Um, now that's probably an over-exaggeration of what you're going to expect when you do it, but if you take the time to be the person who listens, you'll be absolutely shocked. And that means not just hitting like, right? Hitting like's just, yeah, so what, right? 
If you're going to hit like, stop and say to yourself, can I write a comment here? Just a really quick comment, and you watch how much love you get back from those people. You'll be shocked. Um, they will support you in your post because it comes like a natural trade, um, and they'll meet you, and they'll really start to respect you. Um, that's If I was going to give you one challenge from today, it would be that. Be the person who listens on all social channels, and you'll see the kind of positive response you get flowing back to you. I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, or is that for me that's just good. ranting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be careful. <laughs> okay, a sales navigator. Okay, I'll be quick on this one. Sales navigator costs money. So you remember I said before you buy these SaaS solutions as you build? This is another one I buy. The reason I use sales navigator is good because you can drill deeper into searching. On This is on LinkedIn, sorry, I should say. Um, what I really like about it though is my LinkedIn feed is all the people that I'm connected to. So I'm seeing news articles and posts from people I've connected to. If I like and comment, that's great. I'm reinforcing existing relationships. On Sales Navigator, I set it up to follow all the people I'd like to be connected to. And so when I open up Sales Navigator on LinkedIn, I look at my feed. These are people who I'm not a first degree connection on. I then see them post something and I go, great, I have an opinion on that. Not this much opinion, but I can share something to that conversation. I make a comment, I then make a connection request, I'll get 80-90% success rate by following through on that path. So I use Sales Navigator as a different view because you become really, you can create a filter bubble on any of your social media where you're just seeing stuff from people that you already know and already connected with. You can use Sales Navigator to just follow people that you want to be connected with. And that's a great way to grow your business without being overly salesy. You're doing the previous hack, but you're applying it. You just gotta pay LinkedIn 50 something bucks a month. So you know, it all adds up, but um, you need a free trial for 30 days. So I definitely recommend um, trying that one out. That's, that's probably a me hack because it's LinkedIn again. Cool, so I'll take over on this one. Um, so engagement is rocket fuel for social. Um, nothing will happen on your social media channel if people aren't engaging with your stuff. So you can post stuff as much as you want, you can post as many photos as you want, but if people aren't engaging and starting that conversation and liking and commenting, um, you're never going to get anywhere with your followers and your community. Um, now, Facebook and Instagram at the moment really, really value the, that engagement. And if you get a lot of engagement on a post, they'll push up your next post into the newsfeed of the people that follow you. Um, and that's really important if you want more people to engage with your stuff more. So um, having call to actions, asking people questions, encouraging people to engage are all really, really important ways uh, to increase that engagement on your social media channels, but then also expand that audience, expand that community. Because as soon as people are commenting on your stuff, then their friendship and network communities uh, will engage and see your stuff as well. So it's a really good way to get a lot of people to see the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, no one's going to comment on like a sales article. It's just kind of like, oh, we've got this. It's unlikely um, to comment on it. Um, so if you, you know, I'll use the bakery analogy of the cafe, you know, if you put a picture of your pastries up, it's kind of like, yep, what do you do? I'm not really going to make a comment on it. Um, but if you were to put up two and kind of go, uh, we haven't got any more shelf space, one of these has to go next week, Okay, well, now we've got a bit of a conversation going, now you're getting buying. So, um, basically, yeah, the, the, if your focus is, it's social. Again, it's that one simple thing, right? Yeah. Start a conversation. If you can get a conversation going, you're going to be rewarded with extra reach. Yeah, and even on that idea, things like polls and things like that, it <coughs> make it really easy to encourage that call to action and make people engage. So, find different ways to put up that content in a way that encourages people to engage. Um, mute your trolls. Um, so you can both do this in your own mind, um, but my favorite is um, the, the, if you're running a business page on Facebook, is the ability to allow some, you can delete a comment, but that kind of is like adding fuel to the fire, right? They get deleted, they're like, oh, I'm silencing the man. Um, 
But what I prefer to do, and it's a bit more, um, uh, it's a bit evil, is you, you know you actually block anyone else from seeing their comments other than their friends. So what will happen is you'll see this entire rant go off on the side where someone feels like they're being heard, but actually no one can see their comment whatsoever. Um, I find that to be way more satisfying when you're running a business page. Um, deleting kind of like killing them, but letting them think they're shouting to the world and telling your customers, but meanwhile they're just in their own little bubble and they're kind of like trapped. Um, I don't get some kind of perverse joy out of watching them continue to post. Um, there's that, and as well, just, I mean, if you are lucky enough to write something that gets a lot of comments, you will get some negative social. So you know, go into this, we're having a relatively thick skin. Um, every single time I've written something um, that gets a little bit of traction, there's some form of hatred that will come out and attack you. Um, and it sucks, you, know, you really start to question yourself. Um, so I've kind of had to learn, I've had other people coach me through that process, because you get really defensive. Um, and your first need your reaction is to attack back. Um, yeah, that's not so great. It always ends up in a real, you know, you just end up degenerating a conversation. Um, if you've got a good fan base or good supporters, you'll find that your supporters and your followers will tend to defend uh, for you. Um, and that's actually your ideal situation. So, quick story, I've got a client who does um, pharmacy deliveries, home deliveries. Um, whenever, we, whenever we put an ad up on Facebook, they always get attacked by people going, oh, great. So there's one fantastic thread where someone was, oh, great, you know, making society fat by not walking down to the pharmacy. And, and they kind of all jumped on, they were really attacking. Now, on one side, it's negative. On the other side, it's a comment, right? So Facebook starts actually still reward those comments. But what happened was the people who were using the service came on. So actually, um, I used it because my kid was sick and I didn't feel like I needed to walk down the shops. Um, I used it because I was sick. I didn't want to cobble everybody. And someone else posted, I used it because I find walking painful and I've been, you know, I'm disabled. And then all of a sudden you just go, oh, I get it, right. And it just changed. But having all those people commented actually triggered that social engagement. Facebook loved it. It was the cheapest installs we could try for that app we could have ever hoped for. So, you know, there are times when letting the conversation, um, even if it's slightly negative, run, will pay off for you. Is that? Have we got it covers it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, know your hashtags. Uh, so hashtags are huge um, and they're really important that you get them right as well. Um, so particularly talking about Instagram at the moment, um, so hashtags, they say between 10 and 20, but some people will say three and some people will say 59. Um, so hashtags are just really important to have on your stuff to get people from a particular community and audience engaged with your stuff. Um, Instagram does this really cool thing where if you hashtag some really generic stuff, they will flag you and they won't show your stuff at the top of the news feeds, which is uh, not great for your engagement. Um, so making sure that your hashtags aren't too general because you don't want someone from like Puerto Rico to engage with your local cafe um, because what's the point? You want to um, be posting stuff, so rather than saying hashtag cafe, saying hashtag Brisbane cafes or hashtag Springfield cafes, making them really specific so that when I jump onto Instagram to find a cafe to go to in Springfield, I can just use that hashtag and I'll be able to find something. So ideally, hashtags should be used so that um, a niche amount of a niche people can find your business. Um, but also to keep trying keep away from generic ones as much as possible. What about Facebook hashtags on Facebook? Should we oh, use them? Um, probably not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they're not that beneficial yet. Um, they've really tried, like, solid effort Facebook. Um, but they're not doing that great so far. Um, sometimes worth using a couple, but not really. 
Um, but you'll find, again, going back to the first couple of slides, um, small businesses who post on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter all the same thing. You can tell because they'll have 29 hashtags on the post that they originally posted on Instagram and is now on Facebook. Um, so it's really obvious when you start cross-posting when uh, you've got a bunch of hashtags on your Facebook post. Um, but yeah, Facebook probably LinkedIn's really just started to try to get channels and hashtags working. Um, but as a general, one hashtag qualifies. Um, two hashtags suggest, okay, I really want you, I've got a specific agenda here. Three, four, five, six hashtags, I'm trying to sell something. Um, so it's kind of like there's a, you can almost correlate how much you want to derive something for yourself out of your post by how many hashtags you add to it. It's really self-serving. Um, you'll notice like the more organic just friend posts, people tend not to hashtag. You can almost see that social friend that wants to be noticed who adds too many hashtags. Uh, again, it's channel dependent, but um, I always find if you see someone posting like 20 hashtags on LinkedIn, it just is such a signal that I want something from you. Um, but one's a good qualifier. Yeah, apparently, I'm not sure about Facebook, so I'll take your advice. It's only a hashtag on Facebook. Um, so size matters um, for images. Um, You've got to make sure that you're putting the right size resolution on the different channels. Um, every single type of post, every single channel has different dimensions. Um, and most of these social channels are so fixated on their own experience, they come up with their own custom image sizes. It's absolutely irritating. Um, but you need to do it. There's nothing more annoying than resized photos or things that are cropped badly. Um, take the time to do it. It makes a difference. If you've got something that's worth posting, you know, make it about quality. Um, but yeah, it, it totally, I mean, it's every single channel. <laughs> so there's a couple of really good links we can share on Twitter afterwards so you can follow that through. That like good, like there's businesses keep updated size charts that are always, the post is always updated. Um, I'm trying to think of who it is now, but there's a bunch of them. Um, yeah. Um, particularly with uh, platforms like Instagram, where it's so visually focused, um, if you post a photo that's really badly cropped or really, really badly pixelated, that tarnishes your reputation almost instantly. I have unfollowed a lot of people because they've posted stuff on Instagram that's just not good quality. And Instagram's a place where if you can't post good quality photos, people aren't going to follow you. Um, you can post whatever caption you want, but if the photo and the image isn't high quality, um, people aren't going to engage. So it's definitely something worth thinking about, particularly with those visually focused platforms. Um. Create an influencer ring. So, um, yeah, do you want to? Yeah, start? yeah. So, um, it's really important that you have a group of people that uh, some people like to call them, call them your tribe, are the people that will support your business through everything. These are the ring of people that when you post something, you know you've had an automatic 10 or 20 likes because those people will like it no matter what you put up. Um, and they're obviously going to be genuine because you know them and you know that they're interested in your business, um, but it's just a surefire way to start that engagement rolling. And so their networks are going to see your stuff. And as soon as they start commenting, then the engagement goes up and we go back to all the other hacks that we've talked about. Um, but having that group of people that will support you and be liking everything you do, uh, that will be your influencer ring. Yeah, so your influencer ring isn't your mum, um, it's other businesses. Yeah. Um, your mum will like it anyway because she loves you. Um, so if you think like a geo at Target, um, I'm fixated on cafes now, but about a cafe down the road, I'd speak to the hairdresser, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. You've all got the same customers, but for different reasons. So it's all good that you support each other. So local business, um, that kind of makes a lot of 
sense. You could all be working in startup businesses. You could be all working in finance. There's different reasons, but you want those businesses to be semi-related. You don't want to be have your competition in there necessarily because that's going to cause a bit of an issue. Um, but yeah, the other thing too is going back to the trolls. If you get a good tribe, um, they will have you back and they'll tend to cover it. It's much easier for someone, in your tribe, someone from your tribe to come in and shoot down a troll than it is for you to try to defend yourself. Um, more followers doesn't always equal credibility. Um, so you might be following someone and they have 24,000 followers and you might be thinking, sweet, this is a great influencer, let's get them on board with our stuff. Um, but it's really important to remember this whole idea of bots, which is still a thing on Instagram particularly. Um, really shouldn't be, but it is. Um, and bots, they kind of, they're this great thing where you can hire them to go out and follow a bunch of people and it's a really easy way to get a lot of followers really, really quickly, um, but they're not gonna be genuine. Uh, so it kind of comes down to that idea of being really, really genuine and having a genuine following and having people that will actually engage with your stuff um, rather than just having a bunch of like, you know, those comments, just the thumbs up. Uh, we don't want those. Um, so ha not always having a lot of followers means that you are credible unless those followers are genuine. So it's all about <coughs> a genuine audience who are going to genuinely engage with your stuff and um, take part in your business, buy your stuff, all that fun stuff. Yeah, so um, you can reverse engineer that when you're watching people um, and you will see people who portray themselves as being an influencer. Um, don't look at the followers, look at their engagement. If they've got high engagement, that's influence. Influence is not having 25,000 followers. Um, the only time where, my only caveat, where it can be good to just get a few followers and push them through, is just when you're first starting. You know, you're launching a business, it looks pretty dire to have three followers on Facebook or Twitter. So if you need to like push that up, you know, it's gonna hack it till you make it, uh, or bake it till you make it. Um, that's kind of the exception to get to that minimum, so something's going on. Um, but after that, yeah, you look, and you'll encounter these people all the time on social media, start to see them. They've always got that 20,000 plus followers. You think, how did they get, oh, I see. Yeah, one lucky day, this probably mum. Okay, I get it. Where do you use your posts? Do you want me to start? I do this all the time, right? So I like to produce long form content, um, and it takes ages. But, um, I kind of paraphrase uh, Ovi when he said, you know, spend 80% of your time on your headline because that's where 80% of your reader's time is going to be spent because most people don't read the article. So on social, people see your picture, they see your title, very few people actually click through and read it. So what that means is you can actually reproduce the same content with a different headline, a different image, and most of the people there won't have any idea that it's the same article going through. Um, but if they do have to click, you've got some good substantial content behind it. So again, that's why I use a tool like Missing Letter. Um, but you can do it um, yourself. But yeah, if you put the time in, you've written an article and it didn't really take off, you know, there's nothing more demoralizing than, than spending three or four hours writing a blog post and you're convinced like, this is the greatest piece ever. If you stuff up the headline, it's not gonna get traction. Well, do you know what? You can just reinvent it again with a different headline, a different image. It'll, it'll probably take off a second time. So you don't be afraid to reuse that content in that way. What I don't mean is keep posting the same image and the same headline over and over because um, you know that'll annoy people and most of the social networks will probably catch you doing it now and block yeah. you. Yeah. Um, similarly, uh, if you put together a really, really great video, um, people aren't always going to watch the entire video. So repurpose it. Use uh, stills and images from the video. Use quotes from the video. Shorten it, kind of put different parts of the video and break it up. Um, there's so many different ways to kind of use that video up then enough content to cover for the next like two weeks. So be imaginative with your content and find different ways to post. You have put all this effort into this video, so you may as well use it to uh, your biggest advantage as possible. Well. 
So if I was Little Tokyo 2 now and I was streaming this live on Facebook, I would look at each of these slides and go and cut each one of these slides out, have a separate tip, throw it up onto LinkedIn, put a 30 second video together, and you've got, what, 24, 30 second videos. You know, if I was doing social media for Little Tokyo 2, I'm like, job done for the next three months. Bang, let's go get a beer. Um, so that's, you know, it makes a lot of, makes a lot of benefits. And so now when you see these rehashed out, you know that everyone's paying attention in the back of the room. Um, know your audience. Um, yeah, so look, I, as a marketer, so like I'm, an, I'm a more of an ad guy traditionally, so we will actually go out there and create personas of who we're speaking to. And a persona is kind of like the one customer, you go, this is my person, give them a name, give them a job, give them a title, um, give them a background story, everything you need to do to create a persona. And then talk to that persona, right? So know who you're speaking to. And people will tend to rally around that. If you start changing who you are, your persona starts changing from business to SEO, to family, to political, you're just gonna lose them. Um, so keep your persona and keep and that audience um, in one spot. So for me personally, LinkedIn is um, all business. Twitter is a mixture, I'm not really consistent, so my Twitter feed is a real hodgepodge of different things, so I'd say that's a bit of a fail. My Facebook's very much personal, um, and that might have a touch of political bias towards it, um, and I very rarely post on Instagram. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm imagining different audiences. If I stuck every my LinkedIn audience with pictures of my kids on holiday, it isn't gonna work. Um, so yeah, really knowing who that audience is um, makes a big difference. And don't and you, you can't switch. Even though you represent you yourself aren't one person, you're multiple personalities. <coughs> you really need to both um, rant against the U.S. political system and have a view on local politics and promote your business and follow a soccer team. Have different accounts. You know, on Twitter, it's so easy to switch between accounts. Um, and just make sure you do. I got to meet the person who told Kanye to um, I don't know how you say like you know, EAD. Um, when he was up on stage and something didn't work out his way, but they forgot to switch from the Virgin Australia Airlines account to their personal one. Um, so yeah, definitely um, make sure you're using the right account because um, it can go wrong. Um, social tools are great for managing that. There are social tools out there that will stop it. Um, I use that example all the time when clients sort of say, oh, we don't need to use software and pay that monthly fee to manage that kind of stuff and filter it. It's like, yeah, you do, because you know if someone's had six pints out in the pub and they've got this company Twitter account, they'll probably forget to, to switch. Anything to add to the audience? Um, yeah, so making sure that your followers are, um, you know who your followers are. So it's better to have a solid following of 2,000 people on Instagram um, and them all being of a similar idea and headspace and all that um, rather than having 24,000 people from all over the world who have very, very different interests. Um, it's just going to benefit you. It's just going to make it easier for you to reach them. Um, yeah, just know them really well. <laughs> um, social proof. Um, there's a couple of different aspects to this. I'll, I'll do the um, offline version of social proof. Um, Gabby can tell you how to apply it online, I guess. Um, for me, social proof is like when you go on a holiday. Um, so when I go to a holiday to a different country, I don't know the area, and I'm looking for a place to go to dinner with my family, social proof to me is how busy is that restaurant. If the restaurant's dead empty, there's a man out the front waiting to grab you to come in, I don't really want to follow, um, I don't want to go into that restaurant, I'm the only person, and the social proof just isn't there. On the other hand, I see a really busy uh, restaurant, and there's a lot, well, there must be something good. And people are just naturally attracted to that. So that's the real world example, and you'll see it all the time, right? Social proof is the following of a crowd, um, following what's on trend, doing it because lots of other people do it. You know, 
it's something you'd see advertising slogans, you know, 20,000 customers can't be wrong. You know, that's just playing on that concept of social proof. Um, and it's really powerful and you can use it in social media in some great ways. Yeah, sure. So uh, for me personally, uh, when I decide to go, what, go to a cafe for breakfast, um, I will always look on their Instagram first. Um, firstly, to see what kind of food they serve, but secondly, to see what types of things people are ordering, how many people have posted about them, what people are saying about them, um, and if it has a whole bunch of tagged photos where a whole bunch of people have gone and gotten Eggs Benedict, I'm going to go there and get Eggs Benedict. Um, so it's that whole idea of getting a whole bunch of people to really like your stuff <coughs> and then post about it. And cafes do it really well when they're like, post a photo of your breakfast and we'll give you a free breakfast. Um, so things like that, it's it's really, really good to kind of get people behind you, get people tagging. And so if you want to see it come out and play, if you get one like on a post, you're more likely to get a second like than you were to get the first. Every single like is more likely because of the more that you've got there. So people just feel like it's something they can do. The first comments drive second comments. Being the first to comment um, is tough. People don't often want to jump in there, but when something really takes off, the conversation's flowing. Everyone sees that as an invitation to start the conversation. So again, that tribe and that influence are in can be great for starting off a conversation. Um, even they can be the ones to challenge you and put the alternative view out there can make a real difference. Um, but that's the social proof online. If people see likes, they see comments, they think this must be a thing I want to go. Um, so if I'm doing a social media campaign on Facebook, I will actually go and create social proof before I start advertising it. So one hack that people are using at the moment is when you're buying traffic on Facebook, there's different prices, right? So it's much cheaper for me to go after an audience in the Philippines and target that because they will just click on ads much more readily than someone in my whole back more in Australia. Now what I can do is I can actually build up 100, 200 likes and a few random comments in a really cheap audience. It might only cost me one, two cents to get a like. I then bring that post promoted to an Australian audience, they see that social proof. If I run that against an ad where I don't get the social proof first, the one with more likes will always be cheaper. Facebook will always give me cheaper reach and bigger reach. So you kind of hack it. Now, that hack is dying because Facebook's cottoned on the fact that people are doing this, but you can do it anywhere. So we're going to go through these next five really quickly. We're going to say one or two things. Um, consistency is key. Um, don't. Um, we sort of mentioned before, don't change the way you're posting um, and the tone of voice you're using. Be the same person all the time with the same audience. Yeah, and then also don't post seven times one week and then nothing for the next two months and then go back to posting four times a day um, because that's not going to help you in any way. Making sure that you're posting regularly. If you're going to commit to doing two times a day, post two times a week, two times a day. Make sure that you're committing to something that you can actually do. Um, unlike, what have we got? Okay, this is a long topic. I won't, I won't um, cover it for um, too long. But essentially, you can retarget people in Facebook Ad Manager who have watched your video for a length of time. Any other kind of content you've got on Facebook, they have to engage. People are more likely to watch a video and not send you any signals. But if someone's watched a video on your Facebook page and they've watched like three minutes for five minute video, you can create an audience and retarget those people even though they didn't like or comment or click or make any action. Um, I won't go into details, but if you want to use it, it's one of the most powerful ways to retarget an audience. It's very passive on your page. Facebook live right now. It's so important to stay on top of what 
is going well right now because in six months' time, Facebook Live is not going to be the thing. Um, so if you're still doing Facebook Live in six months' time, you might, be, get, you might get a bit of engagement, but it won't be the same as right now. So staying on top of what Facebook is favouring, um, and that's the same on any social media channel. It's constantly changing, so staying on top of it is really, really important. Um, social media is about being social. I think we've kind of covered this one, so I won't pause on it, but yeah, social and social media is kind of in the title. Um, Pre-hack your next event. Um, so we were doing a better job of this. We would have been all over Twitter right beforehand, building up engagement. We didn't. That doesn't mean you always get things right. Um, my quick story is whenever I'm going down to different conferences and things, I will follow the, I'll find all the people who are hashtagging um, a particular event, and I'll create ads that ta target those people. And so when I go down to that event, people have seen it. So if I want to hack this event, I could have found all the people that were attending and found their email addresses, found their Twitter accounts, looked it up in Eventbrite. I could have built custom campaigns that promoted me to everyone so that when you turned up, you went, oh, that's that guy I see on Twitter all the time. He's famous. And actually, my campaign was targeting 60 people in the room here. So you can actually come up with really cool ways to change your perception. And you can be that big fish in a small pond. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, you'd be surprised how much people are willing to listen to what you say if they think they know you beforehand. Um, last one. Um, connect to the people that you meet um, physically, socially. So, you know, you've kind of met us now. So that's my Twitter, that's Gabby of Instagram, there are LinkedIn's. If you're really going to be serious about social and growing networks, you know, your homework, other than the one I gave you before, I've forgotten what that was, but that's to, to listen um, to what people say on social media, connect to us. Because like, if you don't connect to us, and this is what we do, then it's a bit of a fail, right? Um, so it's pretty easy to follow us, pretty easy to connect to us. Um, and then that just expands your network. Remembering when you post, if we comment, not just like, because we're trying to help you out, um, you get to reach our audience as well. So play the game from today, connect with us, and leverage what networks we have. Thank you very much. Thank you both to both the speakers uh, and for all of you for uh, attending today. So I might just let you guys have a, get a quick water and uh, refresh while we load some of the questions. Um, so we've got a question from Jason. So Jason's kind of like our, our D-Rock for those of you who follow Gary B. He's our media guy. So um, one of the questions on social media, Jason. Yeah. So from Trident Creative, one of the questions was, do social platforms punish your organic reach if you use third-party scheduling apps? Uh, the best way to think about that is, I always say, what would I do if I was? If I was Facebook and Twitter, I probably wouldn't want people using it. Um, so for me, I probably would. I want you organically in the native position. So yes, I would if I was Facebook. Um, that being said, Facebook can't always tell. You know, So depending on how the tool's set up, a lot of the time they can't tell, so they can't punish you. Um, but generally speaking, um, if I was Facebook, if I was Twitter, I would try to stop anyone who was using tools. So if they're not now, and they probably are a little bit, they're going to do more and more in the future. Um, and really, they're just going to bake those tools into their own solution, right? So if anyone builds a really cool social media tool, pretty quickly you'll spot the platform actually introduce it into what they offer, particularly Facebook. They just, one, one tool gets popular, like, all oh, just builds a building and they just copy it. Um, so yeah, don't ever invest in a tool that just does one cool hack to Facebook because they're just going to copy and steal it. Excellent. And I think Warwick uh, may have posted something on, on Twitter or Facebook as well. Um, are you able to just paraphrase that, Jason? Yeah, so what to do, as they say, easy to do, easy to do wrong. So what did you mean by that, Warwick? Oh, <laughs> just Warwick, like, 
I guess it's like anything they say, it's, yep. it's, it's easy to do and easy to do wrong. I mean, you covered most of it. I guess I was trying to tag you in there as part of, it's easy to do and it's easy to do wrong. Oh, like you yeah. mentioned some key things in there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, there's heaps of things you can do, yeah, you can get it wrong really quickly and it can be hard to recover. Um, so yeah, you can kind of, yeah, slowly and steady, right? It's that, that, that post shows the importance of using correct grammar. <laughs> <laughs> Common missing here and there that made it. So that's what you're saying it's a little bit like Trump having access to the nuclear codes. Yeah, yeah, I showed you what not to do. Yeah, classic Star Wars. Excellent. Uh, any questions from the audience? Yeah. Um, for Gabby, um, your thoughts on Facebook Creator and what that kind of is going to evolve into? Uh, who really knows? Um, <laughs> anything that Facebook does. Um, anything's worth trialing, giving it a go, um, and it's going to come down to businesses as well. Uh, so what might work for a cafe might not work for a mechanic, so circumstantial. I think Facebook's agenda is to help people make more and better content, right? So it's going to be an attempt to help you create better content. So right now you have something like Canva, which is fantastic for creating images, and Facebook's going to try to help you to do that. Um, I've got a client called Biteable who does makes it really easy to create nice looking videos. Um, but you can see all these kind of platforms doing it. So I expect you're going to see versions of those kind of um, like, um, businesses, I guess, theory creator. Um, but that's their agenda, right? So you've got to think, well, what would I do? Why is, Facebook, why is Facebook doing it? They're trying to make it easy for you to create better content because just you know, crappy pictures and short text just isn't cutting it anymore. So how can we make it easy for you to go live on video, et cetera? That, that's what I expect it's going to try to do from my side anyway. So say I didn't pay attention and like a year ago I started an Instagram account, a Facebook account, a Twitter account, and then I realized that Facebook's where I want to be in the other two parts. How do you retire an account? Retire Aside from just deleting, like what's the best way to handle that? Uh, I mean, it depends on what your audience looks like at the moment. Like, yeah. if you have three followers, then I think it'd be fine to just kind of delete. But if you've got a significant following and you just can't commit to engaging with them, um, it might be worth kind of putting up a couple posts saying, hey, we're closing down this account, but go and follow us on Facebook and you'll be able to keep up, up to date with everything that we're doing. So kind of, it's all about keeping engaged and keeping in contact with everyone that's following you because they're following you for a reason. Um, so yeah. I think that's a good point. Perhaps yeah, using a call to action to invite them somewhere else. Yeah. Check out um, Weatherspoon's pubs. Um, not to drink there because they're horrendous in the UK, but um, they um, they retired all their local social media channels and then just rolled them up into one. And that was both met with like praise and, and criticism. So you can kind of follow the marketing journey of how they did that. But I don't know if it's successful or not. Um, but it's a really good example of. Like that was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers. They retired all those accounts, so that might be an example. You can look at what they did and copy it or not. One at the back, Jason. Um, how do you balance like building a brand versus like direct conversions? For example, like a company that needs to make more sales, how do you like listen more and don't speak as much, but still get conversions? I like to think of social media as an extra touch point. So people need, I think, seven different touch points to be able to make, a, to purchase something. 
Um, so you can't solely have an Instagram feed and expect that to get you sales. I think Instagram should be a way to connect with people. Then they'll connect with you on Facebook. Then they'll connect with you on Twitter and they'll see a couple of your emails come through and then they'll get to a point where they're kind of seeing your brand everywhere and then they're gonna be like, oh, when I need to go to a cafe, let's go there. So it's kind of just a way to get into people's heads and get engaged and show them that you have a reputation and you have a personality and then they're more likely to pick your cafe over another one because they've seen you a whole bunch of times. Yeah, I think if I walk up to like in a real world example, walking up and trying to like get someone's attention, get their interest, create some desire, make them buy on the spot, that's really, really hard to do. And it's usually like charity mongers, you know, it doesn't really, it's a bit offensive. Um, the only way I would do it in an ad um, concept on social media would be to find the people engaged. So like, for example, people watch lots of your videos and engage and then create a retargeting campaign in an ad platform, like ad manager on Facebook and Instagram and retarget those people with the salesy ads. Um, but I wouldn't, I would never go with a salesy ad on your organic social because um, it just looks bad, it looks desperate. So if you're gonna create salesy posts and actually try to drive actions, they should be ads because that's what they are. When everyone's talking about the, the value of doing video content, you know, video is so much more powerful than doing you know, stagnant posts. Um, at what point do you go, well, a reasonable video is better than a, than a descriptive post? You know, at what point can you go, oh, it's okay to do a bit of a, like a, a, a live, um, you know, Facebook Live or do something? At, at what point, how do you break over that point where it's a little bit nasty into something that's nice, that's worthwhile doing? Um, look, it's that kind of idea of uh, Facebook's favouring video and live right now. So mm. if you post a video, Facebook's going to push it up in the newsfeed and more people are going to see it. You can also retarget all your video watches. Um, but if you can't commit to putting together a really good quality video, um, then it might not be worth it. Like if you're just better at writing than speaking in front of a camera, maybe stick to writing the content and maybe boosting it or something rather than putting together a really terribly quality, terrible quality video because that again will tarnish your reputation and people will that they'll judge your reputation your brand based on that video yeah i think it's easier to do bad video like so you get more reward but it's easy to do bad video and then the images are easier it's hard to do a bad image and it's hard to do a bad text right it's all formatted for you it's about, as long as you can produce something that passes the quality test, the minimum for your brand, be it a company, a page, whatever it happens to be, then the further you got the video from text is better. Um, so that's what I, why, that's the way I would look at it. Is as long as you're happy and you go, I can pass the minimum test, go as far as you can, push yourself into video if you can, push yourself to live. Um, if it's not gonna pass that minimum quality test, and everyone's got different standards, right? Um, but if it does that minimum, obviously, yeah, avoid it. And how do you feel about video on LinkedIn? I mean, I know that LinkedIn seems to be more of a yeah, like more of a conservative mechanism. Yeah, well, they've got lots of limits. Um, you can only put some five minutes or half. Anyway, it's a short amount of time that you can do on LinkedIn. Um, you definitely want to upload the video natively onto LinkedIn. They hate it when you link off to YouTube. Um, one thing with the platforms, don't kind of cross promote between them. Like, think about it. If I was Facebook and you were trying to send people off to your Twitter account, or Twitter off to Facebook, I'm going to penalise you. I don't want my business going off platform. So LinkedIn wants you to stay there. Um, if you can get people to engage in LinkedIn, fantastic. Most people looking at LinkedIn have their sound on, almost all of them, so you're gonna have to subtitle it. Um, it's gonna be really tricky. You can get free subtitles, I think, through YouTube now. I think they subtitle everything under half an hour. Um, but yeah, you're gonna want subtitles on LinkedIn because people watch it in, on work, on desktops, no sound. Um, so, yeah, we'll struggle. Um, I'll just do one, one last question. Um, deep content and uh, repurposing the content. 
would you recommend? Two questions. First, uh, for which platform, what percentage would you recommend to paraphrase? So if you're reposting it as a real article on LinkedIn instead of linked to the blog. Uh, and the second question is, like, what, what would be a strategy? Where would you, would you pub publish first and then second? Mm -hmm. I'll try to give you a really concise answer without too much justification. Post first on LinkedIn articles, note that, don't link back to your blog. After that's gone through its social proof, put it on your blog, then go back to your LinkedIn article and reference your blog. It's in like, that's where I originally posted, even though you didn't, and go that way around. Um, get the social benefit and proof first, then retire it to your blog where that content can live for, for SEO purposes, um, and definitely post it organically on there. Don't link off like LinkedIn to your website, because LinkedIn don't want people leaving it. So if you've got a post you want to share on LinkedIn, post it on LinkedIn articles, um, keep them on that platform, you'll be rewarded for extra reach. And remembering that the stats they show you for articles are different. So a click, a, a view on an article on LinkedIn is like a click on a post. Um, I won't go into details, but just what you get for a status update in an article, uh, are a metric move down the funnel. So you'll be disheartened by the numbers you see as views, but they're actually clicks. Um, I'll try to post them on Twitter to explain the difference, but they're different metrics in the same platform, which is nuts. So great presentation, so a round of applause. For, uh...